Welcome to another episode of the Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders on Washington, Wall Street, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is the ninth day of March. Ninth day of March. Not yet the Ides of March. Not yet. Bad day for Caesar. We'll see if it's a good day for markets. If you like bond yields, if you like bill yields, if you like note yields, do you know the difference? Bond notes and bills? Notes are up to 10 years. Two to 10 years are notes. If it trades at a discount, it's a bill. Did you know that treasury bills are issued at a discount to par? So there's not actually a stated coupon on a treasury bill. It's issued at a discount. And then a treasury note has an actual coupon. It has an interest rate uh, coupon that it pays. And then, and then, uh, bonds are anything longer than the 10 years. 10 to 30 years are considered treasury bonds. Okay, just a little inside baseball to get you started. Jay Powell's paying attention to all those things because the uh, six-month treasury this morning uh, is a 5.3%, 530, 530 on the six-month. Let's take a look at the 10-year, 403. Four, no, sorry, 400, 403, actually. So, 130 basis point inversion between six months and 10 years. All right, I know that sounds wonky, but just think about it. Uh, the U.S. government will pay you more to borrow your money for six months than they will for 10 years. Think about the flip side of that. You're willing to take 1.3% less to loan the government money for 10 years when you can get paid 1.3% more uh, for six months. And can we hearken back just about a year or two when you would have kissed the ground to get 1.3% for 10 years? I mean, <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means that inflation is here to stay for a while. And that's what Jay Powell is telling Congress in uh, his annual, they call it the annual Congressional Senate testimony of the Federal Reserve Chairman used to be the Humphrey Hawkins testimony. He'll be back again in July and do the same thing. He does this every six months. He's getting um, battered by both sides and his message is, hey, you know, back off. We don't know. We're doing our best. And the inflation isn't going away. So we got to do something about it. That was the whole message I got yesterday. Wonder what message my friend Kenny Polcari got. Kenny and I were in New York yesterday presenting at a high tower conference. Kenny was the highlight of the show. That should come as no surprise to any of our regular Farcast <laughs> listeners. Kenny was the highlight. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think it was, if you think it was the high frequency algo trading, it wasn't. If you think it was, if you think it was the uptick rule on short sales, it wasn't. Though both of those things can get him pretty fro getting fro frothy. It was his shoe shine, folks. Shoe shine. Grand Central Ch Station sent Kenny right over the freaking cliff. Uh, Kenny, I'm sorry I had to bring up the shoe shine again this morning, but twelve dollars does seem a lot of money. I I ate you this morning. <laughs> Just this morning. He Listen, just this morning. I love that intro. I love the explanation about the about the treasury market, about the notes and bills and bonds. I think that's perfect because I do think that there's a lot of people that didn't understand that, right? Or they didn't know it. So I think it's great information that you gave. Now, considering the shoe shine, I was shocked, right? It's up 140% from the last time I was here when I used to pay five dollars for the shoe shine. There were 12 seats and 12 shoe shiners, you know, and a line of people waiting. Yesterday there were four seats and two shoe shiners. And there were not a lot of people waiting. And suddenly I got my shoe shine. I went up to pay the bill. And they said, $12, please. And I almost fell over because I just thought $12 for a shoe shine was right. just. Because, look, I don't get my shoe shine in Florida. They don't have the shoe shine people like they do in New I York. I used to right? get mine done at Penn Station. You know, next right. to the place that used to sell the neckties. Right, right. I and I used to get them done. There too. And I used to get them done in Grand Central Station, right? Every other day I'd walk in with a different pair of shoes. I get them shined. They were always nice and shiny. So now I get it. I got to go out and buy my shine box, I guess. And, uh, just I got one. I got one. I got yeah, one. Yeah. I got one at home. Okay, Kenny. We heard. We Kenny and I spoke at this at the at the Hightower conference. It was a great thing. Uh, Stephanie Link, of course, and it was a day of the stars. All the CNBC people and TV people. Kenny's a, a Fox person now. 
gone to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kenny. You, you know I'm right. Uh, yeah. hey, listen, I'm listening to all of this Fox News stuff and the voting machine stuff. The only thing I'm convinced about is that they should just take the news out of Fox News. Yeah. Just get rid of news. Just call it Fox. <laughs> but, I mean, then then at least they have a shot at credibility when they're not looking to call themselves news. Kenny, sorry for all my conservative Fox News listeners out there, but these you've got to if you read this testimony, it ain't news, folks. It's they're if they're making it up. Just say we're making it up. Um, Kenny, we did a survey. We had a handful. Raise your hand, ladies and gentlemen. About 150 people in the room. What did you think about that when we asked if there was going to be a recession and some people said yes and some people said no? What did you take from that? Well, I, I thought there were more people in the room that raised their hand to the yes side of the question versus the people that raised their hand to the no side of the question. But um, I wasn't really surprised because, uh, you know, I think we're already in one. I think we're in a rolling recession. Uh, but I think there's more pain to come. And I think J.J. Powell made that very clear over the last two days in front of the Senate, in front of the House banking committees uh, on where we you know, what is the state of our union at the moment in terms of the economy and interest rates and inflation. And so I was not really surprised. Um, I think I was I, I, I'd like to have asked the question is how many people think it's going to be long and dark and deep versus short and shallow, because I think that's going to be the next debate, right? I'm in the camp that it's going to be longer, maybe not deep, but just longer versus a short and shallow recession that they keep trying to tell us uh, they're going to manage. I just don't see how they're going to manage it. Tony Dwyer from Canaccord was on our panel. Tony Dwyer's, I think, one of the smartest guys on Wall Street, but he has amazing research and data. Uh, yeah. He looks at the world in a different way. And as Tony says, I'm just giving you the data. And this is what the data say. And right. when you listen to Tony's data, it, 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 every time so many of these different things have happened and the numbers have lined up and this has happened in the two years been here and this has happened in bear markets and so forth. Uh, we've never seen a bear market bottom uh, before a recession was called. We've never seen a bear market bottom at this point in the cycle. He, he, he gives some fairly, not, not what he thinks is going to happen, but this has never happened before. The right. narrative that the uh, doves on Wall Street, and I don't mean the monetary doves, I mean the doves of a no landing or a soft landing, or there isn't going to be a recession because I don't want one, goes in the face of many, many hard facts. Right. So how do people listen to what Tony says and still come up with a rosy scenario, Kenny? Uh, I don't know, because I think it's amazing. You have to listen to them. I think what they do is it's selective hearing. They just listen to what they want to listen to, and they come up with you know, come up with a different conclusion, which I think makes no sense. Um, and it's very frustrating. But I think Tony's right, right? We're gonna There is going to be more pain, but I don't think the description means we're going to, you know, Mikey Wilson's Morgan Stanley call of S&P 3000 down 25% from where we are today. But you I don't think, eliminate that 100% as a no, chance either, do you? No, you don't eliminate it 100%, but I give it, le I, I'm in the camp that I give it less of a chance. I'm in the camp that I, I think the worst is going to be that the October lows of 36, I think we were 3600 or 3650, if I have to go back and look at the chart. But I think that's probably if we're going to test lower and it's going to get, um, you know, a little bit more pressure on on the markets. I think that's where it goes. I think for it to go to S&P 3000 down 25 percent from here, it, it's got to get really deep and dark. And I'm just not there yet. The only thing that I know, Kenny, when I look at this is when I see a market start going down, you're at your own peril to say, Oh, but it's not going to go down that much. It's only going to go down here. I think Correct. it's going to stop here. Correct. You know, uh, this is when you're uh, on the sled as a kid uh, and you know there's traffic, but yeah. you're going to stop. You're going right. to stop. I'm going to stop before we actually get to that cross street, right? right. I'm going yeah. downhill, but you might have to turn that sled into the curb. I had to do that a few times as a kid. That was really <laughs> ugly. I went home with a bloody lip or two, you know? Uh, uh, but, but, but you don't think that way when you're at the top of the hill. You don't think that way when you're halfway down the hill. But when you're getting close to the bottom, you have kind of a holy crap moment. Mm, this damn thing's not stopping. That's what happens when markets really start. So maybe 
Right, but then what, what typically happens at that point? That's when you get capitulation. Yes. You get everyone going, that's it. I'm out. I can't stand the pain anymore. And they do exactly the wrong thing, right? They sell right at the bottom because that's when it happens. Right. So, the, what you should do would be the hardest it, thing to do. It will be what you do not feel like doing in the moment. Well, uh, correct. And what you should do is, listen, If I, I do think there's going to be uh, bumps in the road ahead. That doesn't mean I'm selling my portfolio. What it does mean is I'm buying myself protection, right? So I'm doing it very short the Dow, short the NASDAQ, and short the S&P. So if the market goes down, those three investments will go up in value, helping to offset any loss that I have in my in my core portfolio. So, right, is it going to be pretty? Not really. Is it going to be completely hedged? Probably not, but it's going to give me some security and some sense of, okay, I've, I've, I've done the right thing. Because I don't want to be that person that says, I can't take it anymore and I sell everything right at the bottom. Absolutely not going to do it. I'm not doing that short thing that Kenny talked about doing. I think it's too cute for the average investor. And is it too cute for Kenny? Not with his years of experience. No, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he's doing it on behalf of his clients, well, they pay him to do that. And he's an, he's an expert, but uh, I'm not I'm not going there. Hey, Kenny, you know, I want to talk about one more thing. I want to talk about this treasury bill at 5.3% for six months. Yeah. Uh, how does how is that a bad thing in terms of hedging? Well, listen, it, it, it's a great thing if you're a saver, right? If you're somebody that doesn't want any any risk in your portfolio, take your money, put it in treasuries, completely protected, earning 5.3%, like you said in your opening statement. You, you know, two years ago, you were begging to get 1%. Now you're getting 5.3%, so it's great. So I would say to some people that are nervous, right, you're going to hedge it. So you're going to take some of the cash, not necessarily sell your core portfolio but take new cash you're going to put in and then allocate that money to uh to the treasuries right and you're going to stabilize your 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 uh, your portfolio because that you're not going to lose any money there that's 5.3 percent. that's going to stay there that's going to help stabilize your portfolio is it going to completely hedge it uh, not completely unless you put so much money in there that it's going to offset but uh it's going to certainly help stabilize your portfolio and so I'm using that as well, right? Six yeah, yeah, yeah. shorter duration. I'm not. Well, we're you, not. I'm not going out ten years. Guaranteed five point three percent. Yeah, yeah. I don't know many. Uh, I don't know many strategists. Not that it means any of them are right, but I don't know many. I don't. It's not. I don't know many strategists think that the stock market is going to necessarily close up five point three percent this year. Right. Uh, you know, and there's a guaranteed lock. The other right. thing is, most financial I would just planners say over recent years have said that clients particularly older clients, can take 3 to 4% of their portfolio out to supplement income or to provide income. Yep. The markets now, you're going to get a guaranteed 5.3% net after taxes. You're at that 3.5% level, at least, depending on your tax bracket. Right. Uh, you've got your guaranteed income in place. Um, you can you can all of a sudden, that 60-40 that portfolio, 70-30 portfolio, 50-50 portfolio, yeah. May work for you, particularly if you're older, provide you a little bit of growth in the income you need. What do you think? Absolutely, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. So if you're in that camp, if you're at the if you're at the you know at the life cycle end where that may that's very important to you, then yes, you should absolutely consider that. But if you're somebody in their 30s or 40s, see, I would shy away from that unless you're so so nervous about where the market's going that you want some protection. But certainly 60 plus. That's a great strategy and something that we're starting to discuss more and more with clients because they now see that they can earn 5.3% guaranteed no risk. And they're starting to want more protection like that, as they should. Okay, so here's one more thing I want to talk to Fred and Ethel about. If you're looking at bills or money market at this point, the Fed is still tightening, which means the Fed is still increasing rates. So let's look at this just short rate, Kenny. I'm going to give you my idea, and then you you you, you chime yep. in if you would. In July, the uh, about a 14 month bill, uh, something like that, uh, around uh, September of 2023. From this was July of 2022, was yielding 3.2 percent. Money yep. markets were still yielding about a point. Yep. Rates really had just started to rise by the Fed, but you could lock in 3.2 percent last July. So if you did that for a number of months, you got more, you were receiving more income, way more than you were getting in a money market, probably right up till about November. Right. November money market rates got to about that 3.2%. After that, so somewhere in there, all of a sudden, those 3.2% bills uh, started trading at a little bit more of a discount. 
if you had to sell them right now, right? Uh, you're going to sell them at closer to a five or five or five and a half percent discount between now and September of 2023 because the current rates have gone up. up. So should you buy, if you had invested in money market and waited, you're now getting like 4.6% in money market. You can get 5.3% in a six month bill. Kenny, is it is it really worth it for the extra, you know, from 4.6% to 5.3% for a lock? Is it worth it for those 70 basis points to give up the liquidity you have in a money market? And there's a difference in safety too. Money markets aren't as safe as the U.S. Treasury. Let's not get that. Right. Well, that's exactly right. The, the 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 and money markets are safe. Let's not say that they're not safe. They're very they're safe. safe. Right. They're very, they're very safe. safe. But treasuries are even safer if that's possible, right? Because well, it's possible. Right. Well, you're right. But I guess you know that's a very interesting question, and it depends on it depends on who you are, right? You want to lock in an extra an extra bang for your buck? Sure, I would say to some people they would want to, but for me. I would just leave it the way you had it originally set up, stay with the 4.6 and then take new money and start to out ladder it out and allocate it. Well, out. what you also know is if you buy the 5.3 today, you presume, and the Fed keeps raising, what are they going to raise? Another three quarters of a point, maybe another point. Right. Then that six month bill at some point is going to, you're going to wait a while till it gets back to parity. You're going to give up some liquidity for that 5.3%. And by the time you sell it, those rates are going to be closer to 6%. Yeah, but what? But if you don't sell it, you just hold it till the end of the six months. You month, get your five point three percent. Then you get no your five point three. So here's the deal. And this, I just say this because I had a client ask me this, and I don't know if we discussed this the last time I was on. You know, the six month Treasury bill is yielding five point three percent on an annualized basis. Yes. So for six months, you're really getting two point seven five percent. Yes. So, and so I think that's uh, people need to understand that because right away they go, "Oh, I can get five point three percent for six months." Mm, you can't. You no. get 5.3% if you roll it for a total of a year. Correct. Right. That's, and I that, think that's, that's, but they're paying you that rate. They're paying correct. you 5.3% for six months. You're not getting the full 5.3%. Right. And I money. think that, right. But I think, and I bring it up because I had a client thinking they were getting 5.3% for six months. They go, no, that's an, it's quoted as an annualized rate. So you're really getting half that rate for six months. Just, just to make it clear. Kenny, uh, we're staying invested in high quality. That's yep. what you're doing. Stuff people need. I got to go. Is that still your final and best word for clients for Fred and Ethel? Yeah. I mean, listen, go. I, the, the big mega cap, I'm taking advantage on any weakness in wonderful, big mega cap U.S. names that are good dividend payers. They pay you for owning their stock, gives you exposure to the market. It gives you income that you're going to reinvest uh, and build, help build your portfolio. But yes, that's where I'm staying. That's where I'm sticking. That's my plan. Kenny Pokari is the CEO of Case Capital Advisors, was the voice of the New York Stock Exchange for many years, and you can see him on Fox without the news. Fox Kenny. Business. Fox Business. Okay. Fox Business. Fox with the business. I like that. We can do that. I'll go to Fox Business. We're going to be right back with Dan Mahaffey. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us this week on The Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. I am Michael Farr here on The Farcast, where we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Joining me now, as he does every week in season six, season six, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on The Farcast coming live to you from the conference room at Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C., as he waits to go to D Detroit. Um, I don't know why he's got to go to Detroit. But, uh, Dan, thank you for joining us on your busy day. We appreciate that. Nice to see you. Good morning, Michael. Always good to be talking to you and always glad to make time for you and our listeners. Uh, our listeners depend on you, Dan. They really do. Dan, in Washington, we've talked a lot this morning with uh, Kenny Polcari, and we've got Shannon Sakosha coming up from SVB. Shannon Sakosha, one of the coolest people we ever get to talk to, is coming up in segment three. Can't wait to talk to her. We, we were in New York yesterday uh, at the Hightower Conference um, of, the, of the Stars with Stephanie Link and others. Uh, Dan, uh, we're all talking about Jay Powell 
Give us the political take on Jay Powell's testimony here and what's going on with the economy and the chances for the, what these higher interest rates mean mm -hmm. and, and maybe recession. Yeah, certainly. And I, I'll leave the financial side up to your expert guests. But on the political side, look, we long had this sense of the Fed hikes. When are they going to bring about this recession? Uh, there were a lot hoping in the White House and on the Democratic side. 2023, we hike the rates. We have a 2023 recession, but we bounce back into 2024. And politically, you could say that was Jay Powell's recession, but it's Biden's recovery coming into the election year. The problem now is that recession is not coming on schedule for that. And if this recession is hitting in 2024, that's sort of the worst case scenario, if not the worst case scenario for Democrats, because you have the timing off. They wanted to be able to take uh, advantage of this recovery to say that, you know, their sense, too, that a lot of these Inflation Reduction Act programs, infrastructure programs would start to be moving now. Again, that doesn't solve the inflation picture to now have this federal money coming online. But still, there was that sense this economic recovery would be a message they could run on in 2024. But it looks like that economic uncertainty is just being pushed out further. And if that recession does come in a election year, that's the worst off. David Kudla had a great line, I thought, beginning of the week. He said, recession is always six months away. Recession is always six <laughs> months away. And recessions, ladies and gentlemen, are determined by this strange board, um, uh, neighbor, uh, National uh, Association or Bureau of Economic something or others, and they will come out and declare a recession after it's started, typically before it's over, uh, or at times, if it's a short one, they'll tell you that we had one. It began here and it ended there, but uh, typically after it started. When you see unemployment at 3.4%, uh, you don't have recession. Um, when you see GDP growth, you don't, we're not having a recession. So it's still out there in the offing. The Fed's still standing on the brakes. The economy isn't slowing uh, the way the Fed wants. And so Jay Powell says, we're going to stay with it because we know the mistake that we've made in the past is that we've eased off too soon. The Fed, every Fed president I've ever talked to has said, the one thing we don't want to do is repeat a mistake from the past. That's that we don't know a lot. We're always playing a guessing game, but we can look at these mistakes we've made in the past and say, we don't want to do that again. So uh, they don't want to ease off too fast. It doesn't look like they're going to. Um, Congress sounded like members, senators and then members of Congress uh, during their questioning had various levels of sophistication from some to none, and I mean absolutely none. Uh, but Senator Warren, uh, Senator Warren was kind of going hard back at Jay Powell on unemployment and other things. What did you take about that testimony, Dan? Well, look, I think she is one, and, and there are others among the progressive side who are actually far more comfortable with inflation. I don't necessarily want to put words so far in her mouth as to call her an MMT her. But there are others uh, along that side who think that we can live with this inflation and that there's nothing wrong with it, given the low unemployment and particularly low unemployment among groups in the economy that have traditionally had higher unemployment. Uh, look, that said, it's still economic voodoo in some ways, and they don't quite get that inflation actually hits hardest the very people they're trying to protect. So that's politics versus economic reality there. And you're always going to, to see that on display when you have uh, the Fed chair before Congress and economic reality normally wins. The challenge we see, though, in anal analyzing this, as you point out, is what does a recession mean politically when everyone still has a job and still can go get a job? That was why you know we were anticipating that this economic uncertainty would punish Democrats but it became a wash when you're economically uncertain but can still find a job. So that's the, the caveat to this political environment. And that's why I think some of these politicians don't even really know what they want to say to Jay Powell, let alone understand what the Fed is doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to watch this play out one way or the other, but we know there's a political side to it. And I thought Jay Powell's response to Senator Warren, who was asking him, is you really going to cause all this unemployment and you're going to do all of this? And he said, you really want to have all of these poor people facing higher and higher prices from inflation? Uh, in fact, 
you know, they will suffer certainly for a much longer period, for a much longer period from uh, higher, you know, pervasive inflation than they will from a recession. You know, behind all of this, though, uh, we had unprecedented fiscal stimulus. We sent a lot of money into this economy from the Treasury side of the House for which uh, Elizabeth Warren voted. At the same time, monetary policy did it. So we kept this economy alive through the pandemic, through the shutdown and everything else by using loads of government cash and loads of government cash that other countries did not use. Nobody touched the United States level of fiscal uh, stimulus from, from the uh, part of the Treasury side of the House, from the Treasury Department side of the House. And now trying to get those effects out of the system is painful. And who goes through the most pain? Those who can least afford anything, anything, uh, not to mention pain. So pain gets intensified and no, it's not fair. Uh, Okay, we, 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 I got to move here. I've got four minutes left. I can't believe it. Uh, Lindsey Graham decided yesterday we should start a war with Mexico. That's tongue in cheek, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, but close. Dan? Look, yeah, this vibe, the story of the one, the border is going to continue to be a political story and a security crisis. Let's not dispute that. This is a challenge. And the situation in Mexico is more and more unstable, where you have these parts where the cartels are entirely in control of some of these border states and, and communities. And that's what we saw. It was an unfortunate case, we believe, of mistaken identity that these Americans who went down for a cosmetic surgical procedure to save a few bucks uh, were mistaken for some kind of other smuggler or cartel. Uh, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, but one, you now have the realization uh, on the headlines of the security crisis that has been ongoing in Mexico, uh, not to mention the countless Mexican citizens who are kidnapped, murdered, and, and don't make the headlines, uh, but now to this political pressure to do something about it. Americans have died across the border. And look, in our history with Mexico, we've done a lot worse to them for a lot less. Uh, look, cooler heads need to prevail, though, and we need to figure out a way to solve this uh, but there is a deeper rot throughout the Mexican system and government that will take uh, generations of American policy to fix. Last night, I watched Lindsey Graham uh, on News Nation uh, on balance with Leland Vittert. Uh, a really good show uh, on balance yeah. with Leland Vittert uh, that I watched. Leland Vittert, a uh, news anchor, used to be a Fox News anchor. He was one of those who essentially uh, left over the voting machine fraud. He refused to report it. He was battered by Fox for that. Uh, and what Leland said as an anchor, as, an, as a network anchor was, I will not report that unless you can show me the data to support it. And they said, it's Fox's position. He said, uh, I don't care whose position it is. If I don't see the data, I'm not going to report it. And he is no longer there. Uh, I mean, he, he became a real punching bag at that point. I admire this young man a great deal. Uh, I, I think he is, uh, agree with him or don't agree with him, he's um, an honest voice out there. He's he's a teller of his truth and, and he means it. Um, he has said for a long time that these drug cartels are causing thousands and thousands of deaths every year in the U.S. and they ought to be treated as terrorist organizations by the U.S. government. Looks like Lindsey Graham may agree with him. But, uh, you know, the opioid crisis and the illegal drugs killed more Americans last year than did car accidents. And, and we're not we're not reporting it. So uh, I thought it was a I thought it was a very it was a very good point as we shift. over, and we, and we have years to where we're losing more Americans in one year to opioids than we did in the entire Vietnam War. In the entire Vietnam War, the average life expectancy in the U.S. is coming down, not because older people aren't living older to all my old friends. Rest assured, older people are living older. Young people are not getting old. They're dying. It's the leading cause of death for people under 50. Uh, opioids, um, they're not. And those are productive people. That's bad economically. Much better, but much worse than old people dying. When the 80-year-old when the dies, not a big deal economically. They're not producing. They're not, they don't have a job. They're not, they're not supporting the, the kids and everything else. They're not doing it. So um, economically, these are very important. Uh, lives in in our country. Finally, let's get quickly to Russia uh, and China before we go. And we've got to go. I can't mm -hmm. believe it. We've got to go. Right. Russia. 
this war doesn't look like Russia can win it. Yes? No? No, I don't think Russia can win it, but they can keep it going for longer. We see today the, the hypersonic missile strikes. To Where are they getting out. hypersonic missiles? Where? They have a limited number of their own, but Do I they? don't know how much longer they can make them or produce them, given the part cuts off unless China helps them. But look, they can keep this war going on longer. Uh, and with China, we see they're just digging in for a second Cold War. They say we're containing them. We're pushing them down. Xi Jinping said this. He's now blaming the U.S. and the West for all their problems. Uh, we see the, the Taiwanese, I think, smartly saying, let's tone things down and meet with uh, Speaker McCarthy in the U.S. Let's not have him travel here. Congress won't be happy about that, but we need to tone it down given just the, the tenor that we're seeing from Beijing right now. Uh, Dan, I was going to ask you about the release of the January 6th uh, some of the footage uh, to Tucker Carlson and only Tucker Carlson. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sure that I understand that, but let's save that for next week. It, it, uh, save that, and we can we can preview that for your listeners. There's a lot of angry senators over that. A lot of angry senators in Washington over that one. Yeah, I get it. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. We're going to be back with. My great friend, Shannon Sakosha, please stay with us. Thank you, Dan. We'll be right back. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the Farcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. I am Michael Farr. We're so glad you're with us again this week on the 9th of March. Jay Powell has finished his Congressional Senate testimony. Uh, went pretty well, I guess, except that, of course, yields didn't weren't, weren't all that thrilled with it. Uh, as we are taping here this Thursday morning on the 9th, uh, 5.3% on the six-month bill. Treasuries are moving higher, and that terminal rate, or how high interest rates are going to go, and the cost of money is going higher. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, you know, we began with Kenny Polcari, and we got the intricacies again of his shoeshine, uh, his shoeshine experience in New York. I, I always learn so much from Kenny. Sometimes it just has nothing to do with markets, but you always learn something. Dan Mahaffey, terrific segment. And now, uh, the star of the show, uh, Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at SVB Private. She sets the overall investment strategy for the firm, asset allocation, everything. Uh, her undergraduate BA Economics and History. This is a well-educated human being, folks, with her CFA, and she belongs to all of these other fancy things. She's the regular contributor on CNBC and as I like to say, a very bright star in Wall Street's sky. Welcome back, Shannon. It's so nice to see you. I was so glad to be with you yesterday in New York. Oh, it was so great to see you in person, Michael. And I'm so happy to be back on the podcast. Well, you're very, you're very kind. Thank you. And that was not a bad dinner uh, either. That we were some Italian restaurant uh, there, kind of in Midtown. That wasn't bad. Uh, uh, no, it was pretty good. Fresco, I think, was the name of the restaurant. Um, it was a pretty good meal, and they and they were gluten free friendly. So for me, that's always an important um, determination of whether I enjoy the meal or not. The uh, Knob Creek on the rocks that I ordered was a generous pour, and I always appreciate that. That's a good way <laughs> to start my, start my dinner. Uh, okay, Shannon, we had this day of the stars in New York yesterday for Hightower. You were so kind to come and present with Stephanie Link and the rest of the gang, lots of everybody, all of our buddies. Uh, 
What did you take from that? Did you learn anything? Were you surprised about the tenor of conversations, the direction of conversations? Was it what you thought it would be? This is your second year doing it, right? Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm listen, I'm always, I always learn something. And so I'm never surprised when we bring uh, a group of, of professionals, such as those that are in our community here um, together for a uh, great conversation, uh, wonderful moderation, you know, obviously creates great conversation and dialogue. And I think one of the things that I was really struck by is how challenging this environment is for every investor that I talk yes. to. And and I think, honestly, there's a vulnerability um, in that that I think is a really important earmark of investors that I like to associate with. I mean, we, you know, this is anybody who's coming out and saying that this is a really easy environment to put money to work is, I think, just being overly naive, just given the amount of uncertainty that we have ahead of us. Yeah. You know, uh, now there is um, there is a woman I've listened to and my wife listens to. It's, it's Brene Brown. Is that, mm-hmm. that yeah. her name? Mm-hmm. And, and she talks a lot uh, about life. And I don't know that she's actually a psychologist or anything, more of, I guess, an overall life coach. But she talks about the perpetual state of vulnerability in everybody's life that everybody likes to sort of discount and ignore uh, because we're all very uncomfortable with vulnerability. And I agree with you. I think really good investors embrace their vulnerability. They understand that, you know, there are only two types of investors, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be, and therefore, uh, you know, move cautiously and deliberately has always been uh, my best advice. So uh, when when we had my panel and, and you guys had left to go to the stock exchange to do TV, I did a survey of the audience and asked how many people in the audience thought we would go into recession and how many thought that we would not go into recession. Now, only, let's say, 60% of the people raised their hands. 40% didn't answer at all. And of those who raised their hands, it was about 60, 40, 60 thought that we would. Yes, and 40 thought that they wouldn't. And that was after Tony Dwyer from Canaccord gave all of his data saying, if we don't go into recession, the odds are about the same as the sun not rising tomorrow. And people said, yeah, well, it still might not happen. Right. When you hear and look at the historical data, how much how much weight do you give it to come up with your conclusions and forecasts? And then what do you do about investing once you have that forecast? Let's start with the forecast. What do you think about recession and where we're going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at the historical data and you just look at the deceleration that we're experiencing, I think, you know, and I've I've been saying this for some time, and I think this is not a um this is not a contrarian opinion. Everyone anchors to um market environments or economic environments and tries to find parallels and similarities between previous economic or market environments. And the the data really grounds you in this view that the data that ends up being predictive is predictive for a reason. Like if you think about the emphasis on PMI, for instance, and why it's such an important indicator, it's because it really is tracking new orders, activity. It, this is this is the real data that matters. And so I, I think when I look at forecasts, you know, one of the things that I'm most challenged by right now is the disconnect uh, between what the consumer should be doing and what they are doing and the disconnect uh, between, you know, you everyone talks I like about that. this. I like this, that. This, yeah. this, you know, consumer confidence is improving. Like, just widen that graph out to a longer historical period, consumer confidence is still way down. It's just yes. not quite as bad as yes. a couple of months ago. Yes. And so, you know, but but yet consumers continue to spend. And there's always been, a, you know, a, a weaker correlation between consumer spending and consumer confidence historically than people, in, that, than people you know, sort of surmise. So I, I'm, from an economic perspective, you know, I look at all of the things that have occurred over the last 12 to 18 months, the higher wages, um, the challenges, the um, the levers that corporate America does not have to pull any longer. And that's where I think you get into this period where 
you know, a lot of these job openings that are available are aspirational. They're not going to be filled. And so therefore, at some point, companies are going to stop hiring. Um, and at some point, consumers will start to feel less comfortable with their labor mobility. And that's where you start to see that change in, in consumer behavior. Now, what I would say is that I don't expect a very a, a significant um, or sustained or persistent recession. You know, I don't think we're going into something really deep and long lasting. Um, but I do think that, the, that consumer activity will slow down in the second half of the year. And I think we should acknowledge the fact that at some point there will be this catch up with higher rates, higher costs, and on the corporate side, less levers to pull to really start to impact that feeling of confidence around labor mobility and wage growth that consumers are, are really hanging their hat on today. As all of those things happen, and I think that was brilliantly stated, by the way, it was very clear argument, uh, uh, just based on data, I think, and where we're seeing in the evolution of the consumer and confidence and everything else, that would suggest that we would see some point in the future uh, stock indexes lower as well. Kenny Polcari was saying that he thinks we go back and test the lows at 3,600. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson says we're going to 3,000. What does Shannon say? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think that we could see some weakness um, in equities. I, I guess the big question is the magnitude of that weakness is based on, do you think that we've appropriately reset our earnings expectations for this year and, and into 2024? Um, and I have think we? that- Have we? Have we? I, I think we're getting close. I do. I, I really, I think that- Earnings you know, expectations are coming into line. What do you think the earnings expectations are for 2023 right now? You know, I, I if you look at the S&P 500, I mean, if you're, if you are modeling out something around, you know, 218, 220, I, you know, I, I think that's probably fairly reasonable for the rest of the year. Um, I think estimates have come in a lot. My challenge is there, Michael, and maybe challenge slash opportunity is that, you know, earnings expectations for different sectors are, are very divergent right now. So if you look at um, which sectors have experienced the, the, the largest magnitude and decrease of expectations, I actually think there are some of the sectors that have already priced in a lot of this um, uh, weakness. And so I'm looking at it in terms of, okay, where where have sectors done enough in terms of pricing and earning to, earnings declines? And then therefore we have a better basis for our valuation um, and what we should surmise that we should pay for those. Uh, I think the the challenge to that argument is that um, there are going to be some additional compounding factors. And so is there a compounding wealth effect that, you know, has has not shown up right. from a housing perspective, for instance, that, right. you know, de de decreases that confidence. So that's my view. My view is that we definitely could see um, some weaker activity from an equity market perspective. I still think that we end up with a positive equity market return this year, just because I feel that we are going to see a Fed that is going to have to start telegraphing a narrative that's less restrictive, you know, after, say, August or September. And I think that provides a foundation for a market that at that point will probably have already priced in the earnings decline with this, um, with expectations of this shallow recession. It could happen that fast. I, I, I think it could happen that fast or, or couldn't, you know, when I, yeah. when I spoke with Pat Harker, um, uh, at the University of Delaware, uh, uh, gave this annual speech, and he's the president of the Philadelphia Fed. He said, we're going to raise him back then. He said, we're going to raise him three more times at a quarter of a point, and then we're going to hold him there for a long time, Michael, long time. We're going to hold for a long time. I understand this is partially jawboning, but it's partially, uh, Pat's very sincere in that. That's what he really thinks should happen and they're always, these guys will always disclaim as they, you know, and say, these are my views. They're not the views of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia or blah, 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 or my colleagues on the Fed and so, so forth and so on. But he is a voting member right now. And so, you know, I, it's tough to know how much credence to put in that. I know that that's what they'd like to do, but there's a lot of political pressure when stuff starts going down, isn't there, that can make them change. I don't disagree with you. They absolutely want to keep rates higher for longer because that implies that the economy is digesting that. 
and that they're able to continue to monitor and ensure that we don't have a return of inflation it, you know, if they're able to keep the rates higher for longer. But you're right. I mean, you're you you heard in the testimony yesterday um, from, you know, the House, you know, it's, hey, you've got to bring these rates down. You're creating, you know, lack of affordability in housing. You're creating an environment. Um, now, I think that's that argument loses some weight when you actually think about the pervasive negative implications of inflation on um, lower income households. But again, you do start to see some of that political pressure. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think the Fed wants to keep rates as long high, high as long as they can to ensure that we don't have a snapback in inflation. But I think that they're, that's going to be really difficult for them if we start to see um, economic deceleration. It also implies for them to hold it higher longer that they're going to get it exactly right. Right. Because if they can go high and get things to be at just the right pace, then they can leave it there. But what Shannon's saying basically is what most are saying is that the Fed is going to get it wrong. They're going to go too far. Uh, we're going to come to some sort of a screeching halt that's going to give them a holy crap moment. And they're going to have to start to ease again. And what she just said was she thinks that could happen before the end of the year. Uh, and that's reasonable, folks. That's reasonable. I was saying to Kenny Polcari earlier when we, when we talked about you know, he said, I think we're going to go down and stop at 3,600. I said, you know, Kenny, when I was a kid and I'd uh, go get on my sled and start heading down the hill on the street, because I, you know, grew up in the city, uh, you were always sure that you could stop before you got to that busy intersection, right. that there was enough room. And you're halfway down the hill and you're like, I got this. I got this. And then you get down to the, you're near in the bottom of the hill and you're going even faster and you're like, Oh, crap, I don't got this. I don't got this. And that's when you lean, you either roll off the sled and you get brush burns everywhere. Or you run the thing over into the curb. Those are the two. You got to get it. You got to get it because because you're heading into traffic. So when it's going down, it's it's I think we all want to say we know where it's going to stop. But once things start, I, that's not I'm not being bearish. I just want to say it, it feels uh, like there's a little bit more of a difficult time ahead. And I think we're 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 seeing that as the Fed tries to navigate this very difficult, you know, economic situation where actually we're still seeing the economy grow. Inflation is being stubborn, and they're still stomping on the brakes, and the sled's not stopping the way they wanted to. Your best advice. I'm so sorry. We've got a. I can't believe it. This has been awesome. Your best advice for Fred and Ethel and their portfolios who are worried about all of this. Listen. Uh Michael, you know I am a, a true believer in being invested in the market and not trying to time the market. So um, but but right now, I mean, if you've got cash and you certainly if you have liquidity needs, um, you know, at any point really over the next 18 months or so, uh, you know, there's a there's a, a very real alternative in short-term fixed income. Also, there's it's it's a great place if you want to be opportunistic. So this isn't just, you know, kind of stay safe money. It's stay smart money. Um, you can, you know, dollar cost average in over, you know, the course of the next you know year or so, even the course of the next four or five months. It's you're you're not going to miss the opportunity if you're a long term investor in equities. You just have to get invested. But right now. A little bit of caution, especially around, you know, being perhaps a little bit more. Um, prescriptive around liquidity needs and how you're feeling in this market. Do you feel comfortable clipping a nice coupon on a short-term treasury portfolio? If that feels comfortable to you, you know, then then the benefit of adding risk in this environment with so much uncertainty is probably less than it would have been certainly in a in a different rate environment. Money markets have pretty good yields too. Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at SVB Private. Uh, a CFA, a CNBC contributor, and my great friend. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Michael. Talk to you soon. That's it for another forecast, ladies and gentlemen, as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We will be back next week as we get ready for St. Patrick's Day next week. Uh, we're going to be doing the entire show with my Irish brogue, okay? I even have a joke or two for you. Do you think you could listen to me for the full 45 minutes with it? I couldn't do it. No, I'm sorry. I just couldn't. I wouldn't do that to you. Anyway, we will be back next week. We hope you have a great week in Naples, Florida. For the Farcast, Harry Jennings, I'm Michael Farr. Have a great weekend. That's a wrap for this episode of the Farcast. Thanks to our guests, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, 
Shannon Sicosia. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. So many questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farmiller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmiller.com. We are here to help and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy. We hope you join us next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Barcast, Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained for the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.